Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Well, good morning, church, and thanks for being with us on this December Sunday morning. Happy second Sunday of December, third Sunday of Advent. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. And if this is your first time tuning in with us, welcome. Uh, We're really glad that you're able to be here. Um, I just want to speak before we begin to the reality that we're about to step into. We're about to have a dramatically different Christmas than any of us will have experienced in our lifetimes. And and today, we're, we're choosing to talk about joy. And I think the release on Monday creates a bit of irony around this topic. I have a confession. I, I, I can be, and I often am, an extreme optimist. And throughout this whole pandemic, I've carried that optimism fairly well, I would say. But the announcements this week, it, it hit me a little harder. Um, I was disappointed. I was, I was really sad. I, I love being together with my church family and with my immediate family at Christmas. Now, this doesn't detract from my opinion that we need to have a collective buy-in towards limiting the spread of the virus. And so there's this tension that exists. These feelings of sadness and disappointment, those feelings of support and solidarity, they coexist, but they lie in tension. They are in many ways what we discover in the season of Advent. Waiting and hope, longing and love, suffering and joy. So here, on this third Sunday of Advent, we are looking at just that, joy. But in the tension, I would say more often than not, that my frustration, my sadness, feels more reasonable than joy does. And our perceived and real suffering in a moment is all-consuming. And because of the way we see the world, we don't have an understanding of how those two things can coexist. Joy and suffering. And if we're to simply read the Bible as as a moralistic rule book, I believe we're missing the beauty that it provides when it comes to suffering and struggle. The Bible is raw. It shows every cut and scrape of what it means to follow Jesus. When we consider atheism, it doesn't really have anything to say to it. Buddhism would have us believe that it's karma and it's right. Uh, New Age thinking would have us push ourselves to mind over matter. Christian science would have us see pain as an illusion. But the Bible shows us that Christianity is the only faith system in the entire world that rejoices in suffering. So this morning, we're going to dive into Isaiah chapter 49, verses 8 to 18. And I hope that you really listen. Let's read together. Isaiah 49, 8-18 This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, Come out, and those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. 
burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your children hasten back and those who laid you waste depart from you. Lift up your eyes and look around. All your children gather and come to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will wear them as ornaments. You will put them on like a bride. All right, well, thank you to the Carr family and to Marissa and Dan for leading us in the reading this morning. Um, we're, we so appreciate you. Now, were you listening? Did you hear the tension? The promises of God, the invitation to celebrate, the call to joy, and the cry of a people in their suffering. The question of suffering provides the greatest challenge to belief in a loving God. Uh, a company called Barna Group, they're a, like a data and research hub. They identified for those asking questions of faith that the coexistence of God and suffering is the most difficult to grasp. Because skeptic or not, religious or irreligious, it doesn't matter, we all speak the universal language of suffering. And when it says in verse 13, Zion is crying out, Zion is this collective residence, it's this, the representation of God's people. And we are crying out, asking, where are you? Why? Because suffering doesn't play favorites. Afflictions aren't partial. Suffering transcends all ethnicity, class, race, or privilege. Therefore, no wonder the Bible doesn't shy away from this topic, and neither does Jesus. In fact, Christian teaching on suffering seems to be a complete reversal of attitude. Joy comes at Christmas. Our carols have it right. But with Jesus, it is meant to be more than seasonal or circumstantial. Jesus promises all who follow him that your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. In Jesus, there is no contradiction in joy and suffering. They actually can coexist. And it's not even just that joy cohabitates with suffering, but rather that joy can blossom in our suffering. In chapter 449, verse 13, what we just read, I want us to notice something. It's a sing for joy. The Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion for the afflicted. It doesn't say sing for joy because I removed your affliction. It says genuine joy comes because of his comfort. Hopefully it should be clear that none of us can escape trials and hardships. So how do we, how do we understand and know a comfort so tangible, a comfort so real, that it transforms us to a reversal of attitude. Now, I am a uh, self-professing optimist, whatever that means, but when it comes to self-evaluation, I am most definitely my biggest critic. Whether it's listening back to a, a sermon, uh, looking at something that I've created, playing a game, participating in a sport. I have always been highly critical of myself and it's not always healthy. And this is what I find is that 
Far too often, my experience in the moment overrides my general understanding. I know the right thing, but how I feel kind of takes over. I'm more emotional than I like to project. I, I feel things more than I like to let on. And I remember that every Saturday, every Saturday morning growing up in my early teens was basketball, basketball, and more basketball. And, and my dad and I would wake up however early we would need to, and we would drive to wherever the team was playing. It was all over the city. Get warmed up, get hydrated, get hyped with the boys, shoes laced, jersey tucked, hands in, layup line, let's go. And so you're all ready and rocking to go. And if you've ever met my dad, uh, he's a very jovial, very warm, very what you might perceive as joy-filled individual. So my dad is loud and excitable, but don't perceive his joy as not being engaged. He is not unafraid to let the refs know when they're doing his son wrong. My dad is all in. And here's the thing. In every basketball game, there are so many different ways you can contribute to your team's success. Rebounds, assists, steals, tough defense, smart ball movement, good spacing, and of course, putting the ball in the bucket. So the game would progress, and I could have everything going that day. I could feel it on all fronts except for my shot. And if I'm not hitting shots, Man, I am a grump. And it doesn't matter how much after the game my dad tells me that this was really good and this was really good and you were doing this really in an excellent manner. You were helping your team succeed, but it wasn't the most obvious way to succeed in scoring. I couldn't see all that was good around me or that took place beforehand because all I felt and saw and focused on was that I missed that shot. And it might seem silly, but I think in so many different ways, we are highly critical of all around us that we can't see what's right in front of us. Are you critical of yourself like this in an area of your life? Where you hold yourself to the highest of standards and have identified an obvious metric of success by which you evaluate yourself, but so much so that you're unable to see anything else good taking place. I'm not saying that scoring doesn't matter. But I am saying that the whole picture needs to be in my purview in order to help me grow in that area. See, the good and the bad can coexist. Much is our relationship with joy. There, there is not one of us whose life has not already been touched somewhere with joy. So that you would think that in order to make it real to us, it should be enough for Jesus to simply remind us of this joyous moment in our lives. Yet this is not easy because ironically enough, these are likely to be precisely the moments that we don't associate with real meaning or happiness or even faith. We often even downgrade these moments. We tend to think that joy is even the opposite of faith. We tend to think that that church is sitting stiff and a little bored, and that joy is laughter and freedom and reaching out our arms to embrace the whole wide earth, which is so beautiful that sometimes it nearly breaks our hearts. And we need to be reminded that at its core, Christianity is joy, and that laughter and freedom and the reaching out of our arms are the essence of it. And we also need to be reminded that joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is, is man-made. A happy home, a happy marriage, a happy relationship with our friends or within our jobs. And, and we work for these things. And if we're careful and wise and lucky, we can usually achieve them. 
happiness is a feeling more based on circumstance. So when the Calgary Flames win, I am happy, probably too happy. Uh, when a book arrives from Amazon, I am happy. When I get a good raspberry crumble Costco cookie, I am happy. Circumstantial. Joy, on the other hand, joy is delight that is settled in the soul. Joy is not dependent of our circumstances. It is the bedrock that stays the same. True biblical joy can actually coexist with a variety of emotions. You can have deep abiding joy and be sad or disappointed or happy. It's a delight that is settled in the soul. And we don't take credit for our moments of joy because they're not man-made. And we're never really responsible for them. They come when they come. There's this mystery to them. The, the unspeakable the joy that we can experience of sometimes just being alive. The miracle sometimes of being just who we're with, of, of where we are, the, the blue sky, the green grass, the mountains, the ocean, the faces of our friends, the, the beauty of nature, being just what, where we are and who we're with. The joy of, of release, of being suddenly well when we were sick, of being forgiven when before we were ashamed and afraid, of finding ourselves loved when we were lost and alone. Joy is a little different. And I think this passage reveals two things about joy. Number one is that joy is all-encompassing. Do you hear the words of the writer declaring his, God's goodness in all areas, over his people, over the earth? He says in the scripture, he says, Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Frederick Buechner, he says that joy is where the whole being is pointed in one direction. And it is something that by its nature, a man never hoards, but always wants to share. And isn't that so true? When I think I did it, I, I, when I think my happiness is my, my fault, I hold it a little bit tighter. I don't want to share it, but when I feel like it's a gift, I want to let everyone else experience this as well. The second thing I think it shows us is that joy is a mystery. It can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising of circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in our eyes. To me, the most shocking and moving portion of all these verses is when God responds. There's, there's a declaration of worship happening. And then Zion interrupts, you and I interrupt and objects to the goodness of God. We're crying out, God, where are you? And God responds in verse 15. And what does he say? He says, does he say, snap out of it, man up? No, what are God's words to the hurting? His response is beautiful. Can a woman forget a nursing child? That she would have no compassion for the son of her womb? How does he comfort the afflicted? by describing who he is to us and who we are to him. The relationship of a mother and of a son or of a child can be one of the most beautiful bonds in humanity and, is saying, and, and he's saying that this is about a glimpse of my intimacy with you. Even a nursing mother may forget, but not me. I have not forgotten you, but you have forgotten who I am. And what an easy trap to fall into in the midst of our suffering. We lose focus. 
I know I can. Our, our society is craving real joy, but we're distracted. The, the inter- entertainment in- industry is a sign of a depleted joy in our culture. And we're, we're bored, gluttonous kings employing court jesters to indulge our need for joy. But that's not a joy that penetrates lives. It doesn't change our basic constitution. The effects are temporary, a few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. When we run out of money, the, the joy kind of seems to trickle away. And, and even a common but futile strategy for achieving joy that we often employ is to eliminate the things that hurt. We get rid of pain by, by numbing ourselves. We get rid of insecurity by eliminating risk. We get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing relationships. We cannot make ourselves joyful. Do you hear my heart? Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged. Joy is this. Joy is a product of abundance. It is the overflow of intimacy. And we can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own needs. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not in our dying selves. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos, which so greedily grab. We can live in the overflow of knowing a God who is with us, Emmanuel. Christmas is the reminder of this important and immense truth. Now, sorry to break it to you, but December 25th isn't the actual date of Jesus' birth. But in their celebration of Jesus' coming, December 25th was chosen, and the day was the winter solstice. It's the longest, coldest, hardest, darkest night of the year. And it's the idea that on the darkest of days, a candle is lit. That Christ steps into our lives like light into the darkness, joy to the world. Why? Because the Lord has come. God's solution to a suffering world is a suffering son. And this rocks me. Do you know that Jesus is not just with you on the good days? But he came to earn our trust to lead us out of our oppression. That God would punch a hole into the hurting world and climb into the darkest, coldest of days. God strips down and lays on the floor, beaten and bloodied with us. This is what the incarnation is. God became a man so he could say the words to each of us. I know what you're going through. I see you. Take heart. I'm here. I'm not just speaking to you, but I know this pain. Verse 16, behold, to see, to know, to go from observation to understanding, behold, I have engraved. And that literally means spikes and hammers, you on the palms of my hands. This disturbing and uncomfortable image, but the truth of Jesus is a disturbance to our existence. It's a disturbance to our suffering. See, the Lord wants us to know my commitment to you as my hurting children is to be scarred, is the scar on me forever. The Lord is showing each and every one of us that the long, dark nights are never apart from Him. And many of you might identify with that. That you're trying so hard. You're trying to be faithful, but you don't feel the joy in it. And regardless of the season, we all want joy. We long for it. 
And this is what the holidays are all about, right? Christmas joy. But the holidays can be a really difficult time. The grief of loss, the pain of disappointment, the wounds of our past. But what we really long for is not this temporary joy. We long for this weighty joy, the kind of joy that is not a distraction for the pain, but a remedy for it. And that is what the scripture directly points to, a joy that is not dependent on circumstances, a joy that is dependent on the presence of God. And that is the promise of Christmas, that God, he came to earth into all that you and I experienced. Jesus was God incarnate, God in flesh, making the declaration of Emmanuel true, God with us. More than a nice phrase, but an eternal reality. And Jesus, he experienced suffering alongside us. And just as we are invited to find joy in our suffering, Jesus had to do the same. I said this at the beginning, that the news on Monday was disappointing. And I know that won't be the last time I'm disappointed in my life, that I'm sad in my life, that I will experience suffering. It is inevitable. My hope cannot be in my happiness. My hope is not a feeling. Because joy is more than a feeling. It is a point of view. It's a way of looking at things. It sets me free from feeling the need to feel a certain way. Sometimes joy is not the absence of sadness or the presence of the spectacular. And all we need to look to is, is, is Hebrews 12, verse 2. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says that Jesus, he went to the joy that was set before him. And I want to use this picture for it. He, he set joy before him so that he could endure the cross, scorning the shame. He didn't find joy in the event. He found joy in the intimacy, in the relationship, in the outcome of the event. He didn't find joy in the feeling of hanging on the cross. It wasn't like because he was the son of God that the nails transcended the laws of pain. But joy was set before him. When Jesus hung on the cross, he wasn't surprised by the suffering, by the pain. Because joy was a focus. Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy is found in the fight before it's found in the victory. Joy is essential to our spiritual life. And Jesus reveals to us that God's love is that, as it says in 1 John, his joy may become ours and that our joy may become complete. Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. That's the joy that's set before you, that it is never gonna leave you nor forsake you, that love. Eugene Peterson, he notes that joy is not a moral requirement for Christian living. Since we'll experience lives that, and, and events that are full of sadness and pain. Joy is not something that we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. But it's what comes when we're walking in the way of faith and obedience. So often I find myself chasing after fruits of faith and obedience only to realize that I've tried to play the game without reading the directions. And the directions say that's when I face, place my focus on the simplest things of life. God's presence. God's leading. And trying to be his hands and feet in the here and now. That's when joy comes. Because it puts the complexity and the overwhelming issue and problems in their place. In God's hands. 
That's where I want my joy to come from. And any other source, well, it's, it's short-lived. Church, hear me this morning. God wants to tell you that some of the things in your life have been controlling your joy that are not from God. And I think you need to tell them that you are not my vine, you are not my source, and you don't hold my joy. Joy is something deeper than how I feel about it. Joy is something deeper than what I post about it. Joy is something deeper than the way it feels right now. I am setting joy before me. I am resetting my priorities. I am committing to the way of Jesus. I want obedience to be my lean. And I am focusing on the presence of Emmanuel, God with us. Now when I do that, my joy flows not from what is around me, but from a God who is for me. How do we move towards joy? Through practice, in community, by the Holy Spirit. I would, I would even say in practice, we need to employ the spiritual discipline of celebration, not just celebrating the good things that happen, but the God who is always present. 2020, I believe this, is a once-in-a-lifetime chance to grow. If you want to grow in your joy, you must be open and honest in your suffering because it is in the midst of suffering that God does a work of stripping away all of our attachments that hold us back from genuine joy. Are you feeling the weight of the season? Are you tired and frustrated? Are you sad and disappointed? And does this Christmas season feel like anything but joyful and you don't know how that is going to change? Cry out. Bring your burdens to God. Seek and find a deep intimacy with Jesus meant to be the source of it all. And make celebration a discipline. Commit your heart, your time, and your effort to see the joy set before you. And find not simply happiness, but a joy settled deep within your soul. City Collective, I know this is a difficult season. I know we're grieving in many ways. This is not a call to rush past it. But it is a call to bring all that we carry to the God who is faithfully loving us in the midst of it all. As we pray, I would invite you to bring those areas of, of struggle, of disappointment, of sadness, of suffering to the forefront of your mind. And we would just say, come, Lord Jesus. Take my burden and help me find your joy. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you that the truth of your word is that you are with us. And it is from that promise that we can place our full trust and find true joy. For those of us who are grieving, I pray that we would find a joy that is set deep within our soul. That we would have the courage to bring those burdens and those struggles directly to you. That we would listen to your voice as it encourages us and reminds us of your presence in our lives, even in a space that we did not expect to be. I pray that joy would overwhelm our community here. 
that every person that is listening, their homes would have this mysterious, unexpected joy to start to fill it. A joy that comes directly from you. We believe right now that when we place our focus upon you, that it overwhelms the feeling of the moment. So we place our focus on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the source of our joy. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy.